This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally, Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. How is everyone doing? Once again, we're live on Amazon, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. I think that might be it. Of course, the podcast version will launch as well on all the different channels. And just a friendly reminder, you can see my shirt today, Switcher Studio. That's how we're producing the show. SwitcherStudio.com. Trap One gets you the first month off but definitely i'm looking for the little button here to push it up so you can see it switcherstudio.com trap one today we want to talk about inclusive design and this is an interesting topic to me because it is necessary um, it's not maybe as automated as i would like it to be i'll give you a couple of quick examples rob sand was on the show and he of course is the auditor of iowa and he shared it wide and far and it had, I don't know, 1,500 views just on Twitter alone. And somebody on Twitter responded, Rob, are there captions? And I had to respond, Twitter doesn't have captions. Now, LinkedIn does have captions, and we turned them on before we went on air. But I had to check a box. Why? The box was three levels down. I had to go check it. Um, and it was a lot of work. So we'll talk about that topic today. Just a quick reminder, if you're watching on Amazon, the book of today's uh, from today's guest, Regine Gilbert, will bring out of the green room here, Inclusive Design for a Digital World, is linked there in the carousel. It's the featured item. Of course, we have a link on all the other channels as well. So I hope you check that out. Um, and I don't remember where I ran across Regine. Um, maybe she remembers. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But... And if she doesn't, that's kind of the world we're in anymore. Um, but we want to talk about how do we do inclusive design? What is it? What does it mean? How can we, um, why do we need to care? And, and we really do. Let's get her on the show here. Regine, how's it going today? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Christoph. Um, I actually have a very good friend named Christoph as well. So when you're like, oh, um, we met online. I don't know exactly which platform, but that's how we are meeting uh, nowadays because everybody is, you know, um, mostly staying at home and not really traveling. And I have actually never been to Iowa. So, um, yeah, we've met online. Well, if you ever want to come to Iowa, let me know. I'm happy to show you around. There, you know, there's things to see, but it's certainly we have a lot of a lot of space. We'll we'll say that. We'll we'll call it that. So, inclusive design. I mean, like you know, captions came to my mind. I mean, even transcripts. Um, you know, what else are we talking about that when you talk about inclusive design? Well, I, I like to take a page out of another author's book and, and a mentor of mine, Kat Holmes, uh, who wrote a book called Mismatch Design. And in this book, she she lays out um, a lot about inclusion, but she really hits home that we we don't necessarily know what inclusion is. You can ask five different people 
they'll tell you five different things, but we know what exclusion is. We know what it means to leave someone out of something. So if someone is uh, deaf and they're watching this on one of the platforms that does not have captions, that's an exclusion, right? They're not being included. So I, I like to look at it in, in the reverse of not really defining inclusion, but we defining exclusion and knowing if we are working on any sort of product that we expect people to use, we want to make sure as many people use it as possible. Well, and that is, you know, it is, it's a challenge. And so it took me a while to get back to you guys here, not just because, you know, I didn't go and have a break, but it felt like it took me a while at least. I'm on LinkedIn and I, we literally just went in there and checked the button and I don't see captions. They worked yesterday. They did. But I went in there, I checked the button. I don't see him on here for some reason. Maybe it was too close. So it's a real challenge. Like why, you know, like what, what do content creators like me, what do we do? Or is it, you know, is it not like, how do we even overcome these challenges? Yeah, I think it takes uh, one, it takes some awareness that you need to make things accessible for folks. Um, with disabilities in the first place, right? I think that people need to understand not everyone will access the things that you access. Uh, I'll give an example of, of Twitter. Um, I will add uh, a lot of, I call them GIFs, some people call them GIFs, but mm -hmm. I add a lot of GIFs um, and I like to add alternative text because if someone is using a screen reader, which is uh, typically used by folks who are in the blind and low vision communities, um, they use a screen reader that'll read whatever is on the screen. I want them to, you know, I want, I have friends who, who are blind and I want to, I want them to, to know what my gifts are about. So whenever I go to put alternative text, uh, Twitter asks me, are you sure? And it's like, yeah, I don't know why you ask me every time if I'm sure. Yes. I, I should just be able to add them or, or it should maybe prompt me maybe to, to add them. Um, instead of asking me, are you sure? I think the prompting is what would make it very helpful. I mean, I even know of, um, you know, I'll text on, um, on, in WordPress and images, right? I mean, for the longest time, nobody, a lot of people wouldn't do anything with them. And now WordPress prompts you, like, right? It says, make mm -hmm. sure you put in here what's in the picture, unless it's purely decorative, decorative. and why you need a decorative photo i don't know like do you know mm -hmm. what i mean have something yeah. that that adds to the story so it does kind of prompt you now but i i don't know either why it's so difficult um to get there so when you talk about so tell me about the the journey into writing the book and what's your what's your interest in the topic what what prompt i mean i've written four books and even though i do the blog to book strategy i know it's still a lot of work to, to get those books out the door. So what, what prompted you to um, be so passionate about this topic? Yeah, I, I never fancied myself a writer. I, I still think my writing skills are in. <laughs> you know, I, I did write a book. Um, what prompted me to write the book was that it, I started my journey into being a user experience designer back in 2013, 2014 time. And um, during that time, I, I had not heard a lot about accessibility. And um, in, in 2015, I started to uh, learn more, uh, learn more on my own and uh, through meetups. And then I started to speak about it. And the first um, 
place I spoke about it was a conference, the National Association of Black Journalists. I spoke to journalists about accessibility and 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 that was really cool. And then I just uh, continued to like apply for different talks. And then I started writing on Medium. And um, it was from one of the talks that someone saw and said, hey, would you be interested in Did we lose you there? I heard. Oh, was I frozen? I heard. Would you be interested in? That's why I didn't. Think, what was after interested in? Oh, interested in writing a book on the topic of oh. uh, accessibility and inclusive design. Makes sense. And then you just kind of did it and jumped in. And it looks like a lot of people are reading it. I mean, forty-four reviews. And guys, if you're reading somebody's book and you enjoyed, please, please, please leave them a review. Reviews are indeed hard to come by. Because usually, you know, they really, really hated. Sometimes only the haters comment, yeah. but <laughs> it's kind of the world we're in, I yeah. suppose. So who um, who should who should be responsible for in inclusive design? I mean, I'm just thinking about the different kind of setups of teams, right? Yeah, and you have like some teams. Everybody does everything. And then you have some teams that are very specialized, like one person does content, one person does lead gen, one person does social, whatever it might be. Who, like, how do you who lead the charge to make sure our design is in, indeed inclusive? Yeah, well, I, I, I first believe it's everyone's responsibility. Um, anybody who is dealing with any sort of digital product, it is your responsibility to make sure that whatever you're creating is accessible. So that's if you're doing email, um, if you're working on the website, right? If you're working on the copy. So I can just tell you about my past um, life experience as somebody who's done um, workshops with, with uh, companies and someone who... Uh, was in-house working on accessibility uh, as part of a design team. Um, you know, uh, back when, even when no one asked me to, I created the, this document about around accessibility guidelines. And that document I gave to the developers, to the designers, to the copy team, to the marketing team, uh, because everybody uh, plays their part in it, right? So when you think about from a copy perspective, what what is being written, um, is it clear? Um, is it simple, uh, you know, to understand uh, from a developer perspective? Are you making sure that um, things on the back end uh, make sense? Uh, from a designer perspective, uh, is the hierarchy of a page making sense? Um, are there the correct affordances to let people know where they could go? Um, and then if you're sending out emails, making sure you don't do things like uh, embed text into an image, right? That that folks who are using a screen reader can't read. So there's lots of things. And I do think it's not just one person's uh, responsibility. And I do believe that when you have strong support from the top, um, it'll it'll trickle down. If, if you're a, a solo person trying to do it on your own, it, it'll be very difficult to do it without the help of a team. It really does take everyone. Yeah, and I, I heard this the other day. Uh, so, of course, I, I do like the answer. Everyone needs to have some basic understanding and think about it. Uh, I also heard the other day on somebody else's podcast, I don't remember who it was, how, like, um, I don't know, you know, the, the skills, the, the skill jobs, you know, um, out there where you work with your hands, not like 
me who just works with his mouth here on the microphone all day long. But there is so many different subcategories of jobs, right? And same here, like, you know, you have UX designers, you have content strategists, you have content writers, you have SEO, you have this. And I mean, there's all these different things that we need to think about. Of course, your book is indeed for uh, practitioners of product design, product development, content and design. They can all benefit from the book. So that, that kind of gives everyone an idea. How, like, what kind of rules are out there, though? I mean, are there any standards that everybody should follow or has to follow? I mean, What's going on? Yeah, so there are um, there are some rules out there that, as well as some laws out there. Uh, depending on who uh, you as an organization are working with, uh, you may have to follow some rules. So if you're working with the government, um, you may need to follow Section 508. Um, it, there is um, a governing body out there for the web, um, the W3C, which has the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, uh, WCAG. Um, they are guidelines around what will make, um, you know, a, a website uh, accessible. It, it also refers to mobile uh, mobile sites as well. And there, for 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 a person who's just running their business, they're not, probably not going to go look at <laughs> look at the web content accessibility guidelines. But one of the things I, I would recommend, um, there's a great organization uh, called webaim.org, and webaim gives some real um, real good insight into what makes web uh, web websites accessible. And uh, they have this thing called the Web Aim Million which was uh, where they looked at a million of uh, websites out there, compared them to uh, the, the web content accessibility guidelines and pointed out the errors that are uh, occurring on most pages. And so I would tell people like, if you have a business, go look at this web aim million uh, and see, you know, are, is, is the contrast on your, your site high? Meaning that uh, if you have low contrast, things can be hard to read for people who um, have low vision, or even somebody who might be outside in the sun trying to hold their, you know, holding their phone trying to read something. Um, there's and and there's like they they have like a top uh, top six, I believe, uh, things to look at. So that would be a, a place to start. And we threw up the, the address there, webaim.org. The screen is starting to look a little bit like NASCAR here. Honestly, <laughs> a lot of things going on. But uh, webaim.org, I just checked it out really quickly. Um, so the other thing you talk about in your book a little bit is um, AR and VR. And, of course, I have my opinions when it comes to those things um, to begin with. And, and one of my opinions is that certainly me sitting here, especially, like I haven't left this seat and. I don't know, you know, 14 months now. Thank you, COVID. Serious <laughs> sort of craziness here. But so a lot of virtual conferences going on. And I still think at some point we will see VR, virtual conferences. So if I'm sitting here, instead of me just talking to the camera up there, I will have a VR camera and you can look around my room. Or I know my room is not the best example, but, you know, if I was in a fancy office or something interesting, how are those new technologies how is that going to affect accessibility and, and what what do we we need to think about 
I've literally spent this week dealing with a lot of that stuff. I'm I'm part of a, a couple of organizations. Um, one is called uh, XR Access, and the other is Teach Access. And uh, XR Access is uh, was started by uh, Cornell Tech, and the focus of XR Access is to bring together academia, industry. Uh, practitioners and anybody who has interest in the XR space. So let me first define XR as extended reality. Extended reality is an umbrella term for uh, mixed reality, virtual reality, and augmented reality. And so XR Access is one of these organizations that's looking at accessibility in the XR space. Uh, there is a lot <laughs> um, to be done in terms of uh, policy uh, in terms of design, in terms of the tools, uh, in terms of the de development. Uh, there is a wonderful um, meetup that happens on a monthly basis called uh, A11YVR. Uh, and you could look on YouTube for previous um, talks, but they do meetups in VR that are accessible. They used um, uh I believe Altspace, and they um, there's ca there's captions inside of a virtual world, a virtual reality. So there are steps being made. Um, I think that we still have a long way to go, but I agree with you in terms of future events will more than likely be hybrid. Like I could be at a physical space, and you could be at home, and maybe we both put on a VR headset and talk in there. I you know I don't know that the possibilities are really uh, limitless uh, when it comes to this space. But when it comes to XR and accessibility, um, there's there's a lot of discussions going on. Um, in fact, uh, I think that the recent uh, deal made between Microsoft and the government for all of these headsets, right? Uh, and if that's the case, anytime anybody deals with the government, and they, this is uh, huge uh, for the potential of of making this space more accessible. Yeah, and I hope it's going to make things more engaging and more interesting. I mean, I'm currently we have everybody on this audio trip, you know, Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces, and I know everybody else is going to start copying it. And I was in a Twitter space earlier, and I felt like I was standing in a big group trying to get a word in. Do you know? Right. And so it's not necessarily, that's not the best experience. But if we're like at a conference and we both have our head home, we can connect. And then it's just you and I talking or, you know, my other neighbor or whatever. Um, there's definitely, um, I think there's a future there somehow. I don't know exactly yet, but I, I have a VR headset. I hardly ever put it on. There's not enough content, honestly, to use it for. What are some of the most common mistakes that companies make? I mean, it's like, for example, I mentioned the my experience with captions. I'm still struggling with that, you know? I, I think probably, honestly, what probably happened is I can't change the setting so close before we go live. I have to do it when I schedule it. That's my, my things that companies struggle with the most when it comes to um, inclusive design and, and um, um, experiences? Uh, There's so many different things that I could say here. I think one of the, the main things is, um, you know, uh, a lot of folks in the disability community space will say uh, nothing, nothing about us without us. 
And I, I feel that that is so important. A lot of folks with disabilities are not brought into the conversations when these products are being made and therefore um, their voices are left out and then things are are made uh, like inaccessible, right? And so I think companies need to understand that there is a vast amount of people who will use your product with different needs. And in essence, accessibility is options. So are you providing options uh, for folks to access your product um, in, in different ways, right? And not just saying, okay, everybody, you know, Clubhouse was like, oh, we're coming out with this really cool, you know, audio app. Okay, what if I can't speak? What if I can't hear? What are my options then? Oh, I can't use it? Okay, so you're excluding me, right? Um, and so Twitter also came out with the voice tweet. And when they first came out with the voice tweet, it got a huge backlash because there weren't captions with the voice tweet. Now they're coming out with Spaces and Spaces does have transcripts, but it's a little bit buggy, right? So it's not, um, you know, 100%. I've um, I have friends who are deaf and I've uh, some who have, um, you know, um, uh, completely deaf or, or hard of hearing. And I found Google to be really great uh, for like Google Meets, you know, for, for talking back and forth and being able to see those captions. But again, it, it's providing options to folks. And I, I think that's the key. And that's the key for, for, for organizations is, is to think about that. And the way I like to think about things, like as an educator, I, I tell my students, like, if, if, if you take away a sense, any sense, right, can mm -hmm. I still experience that thing? It, it, it's very true. And, you know, I mean, put aside that um, there are reasons why people can't, um, you know, if they're deaf, for example, or they can't speak. But, it, you know, in addition, I mean, there's all kinds of people that are not going to listen to Twitter spaces, but they might read it, you know, right. or they might read the captions or they um, that's actually probably one of the things that really I don't like about Clubhouse and Twitter spaces. It's very linear. Right. For me to experience the whole thing, I actually have to sit there for the whole thing and I can't just skim through it. I can't just, you know, read it while I'm doing something else. So, uh, you know, inclusiveness or not, that's not a that's a good strategy for everybody, um, quite frankly, um, in, in my opinion. But why? So some of the things you mentioned, though, I don't know. I almost said and then I caught I'm going to say it and you can tell me that I'm correct. I almost said I can't do anything about them. And I think that feels a little bit like an excuse. And I don't own Twitter. Would Twitter listen okay. to me? I don't know. But what can but but then I'm thinking about the guy or gal, I don't even know who it was, who called on Rob saying and said, Rob, is there any captions? So that person has impacted my opinion, or not my opinion, but my awareness, right? So now I'm thinking yeah. about it. So what can I do? What can people like me, what can content marketers do, if anything? I think you can ask those questions. I think not enough people ask the questions of of is this platform accessible, right? Um, and if it's not accessible, what options do you provide? Like, what do you provide for folks, right? If 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 you don't have captions, is there going to be a transcript available later? Are you, you know, um, there are free options out there that people can can use that are not 
perfect, but you, you can fix. Um, you know, YouTube has captions. Some some people call them uh, auto captions, crap, auto captions because they're not they're not a hundred percent. Is something better than nothing? In some cases, it is, um, and it's it's totally um, it, it's a bigger issue than than you know inclusion and accessibility is a bigger issue, like a societal issue uh, around. Um, ableism and the things that we find acceptable as a society and, and don't. And so we, I think we, we, we need to start asking those questions of, of, is this platform accessible? And if it's not, then what can we do to make it so? So I, I mean, certainly once I, I'm aware, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to push things forward and, and, and do what I can. So when you were just talking about, um, your, your points there, the thing that came back to my mind was, so the neighborhood we live in, you know, um, there's like one bigger street over there and, and to cross it. So there's really no way to cross it for some people. Like if you're in a wheelchair, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way to even get off the sidewalk into the street and then forget about getting across the street. And I've walked by there a gazillion times, never, ever crossed my mind because you know what I would do I would just I don't want to it's not high but it's too high for somebody in a wheelchair mm -hmm. I would just kind of hop over it you know step over it and keep going and then one day my wife and I were walking and we saw a woman in a wheelchair trying to get off the sidewalk into the street I mean it's like forget about it you know, and now my mm -hmm. awareness was raised and I was like, you know, and then the city actually fixed it. The city did put in like a curb, like a ramp yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So they did fix it. But until I saw that, it would have never crossed my mind. So how do we even raise that awareness to a level that, that people understand and that they kind of, let's say, stumble across it, I guess. for I mean, like now I know and now I notice it all the time. There's other right. people in this neighborhood I'm like, why is there no thing down? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, curb cuts are a great example. And I do believe I, I have that in the book. Curb cuts are a great example of something that benefits us all, right? If I'm with a stroller, if I'm with my, gro like, say I'm pushing groceries, or if I'm in a wheelchair, that curb cut is going to help me. Um, in terms of awareness, a lot of times folks don't think about things unless they see them personally or unless it impacts them personally. One of the things that I like to remind folks of is that every one of us is temporarily able-bodied, even if you are, are every, everything's okay now, um, uh, you're not. Like a lot of folks who um, might have glasses don't think that they use assistive technologies to help them, but your glasses are assistive tech, right? They're low tech but the glasses are something that help you uh, maneuver in the world. A lot of folks cannot uh, function without those glasses. And so I think it's just having the, really opening your eyes, right? Like you lived in that, in, in, in your home, you've seen that street over and over and over again. And it wasn't until you saw that person with the wheelchair trying to get off the curb that, things started to to change in your mind. And I think that's what happens for people. It's not until it impacts them personally. I mean, I hate to say that. I wish, 
we were more, more altruistic and like we we just cared automatically. But a, a lot of times we don't think about it that way. One of the things that I found very helpful is to have people think about themselves, you know, 40, 50 years down the line and think about all the things that you do today. What changes? Because you're not always going to be you in this body that you have in the moment. Um, and so really thinking about, you know, look at your surroundings. It's an interesting discussion. And I do, um, I do think about that as well. Um, you know, like, how am I going to live in this house with all these steps? Um, mm -hmm. Should I, should I put a seat in my, my, my new shower? You know, all those different things. But I think it's easy to forget. It's easy not to 100%. think about. 100%. It is part of why I had interest in studying accessibility in XR, to be honest, is because I was like, I want to be able to use this when I'm older. What will this mean? I mean, I already, I got carpal tunnel in my 20s, you know, like working <laughs> on those old Dell keyboards, right? Like I realize my hand and, and dexterity, um, lessons as we get older, right? So am I going to be able to hold a controller? Um, you know, Microsoft came out with this amazing Xbox um, controller that, that you know, lays flat and it doesn't require anybody to hold it. Um, and so I, I think um, I gave this example the other day of uh, like for folks who have children and you buy that that crib that turns into a bed later on, like, I think we need to start making all our tech, like, like let's prepare it from when we're young to when we get old. And certain folks who have, um, uh, I don't have, I don't have kids, but the, 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 the stroller that converts, like, for, for kids when they get older, you start with the baby seat and then it gets bigger, you know. So I think if we were to, to think about making our products adjustable and, and providing options as we as we transition, um, it would be great. The The other example that came to my mind was um, Eva Tsai. She was on the Real Talk, uh, the Customer Insights show. And she mentioned uh, when YouTube first started, there were some videos that were showing up the wrong way. Mm. And so she said, she goes, the team was like, why? Like, how is that happening? Weird. So what, did, have you heard this story? No. No. So what happened is everybody on the, the team that was um, engineering or creating whatever the experience, they were all right-handed. And so it was basically created for right-handed people. And then the people mm -hmm. that were left-handed or mixed-handed, which is a thing I just learned recently, and they uploaded with their left hand, however they did it, it was now backwards because the experience wasn't designed for them. So it's it's also an example of having like the right level of diversity either on the team or you know who to ask, I suppose, and who know who to bring in at the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I, that and that that goes to an earlier point I made of of making sure that that organizations are hiring uh, folks with disabilities so that they do have a diverse um, staff and and have people giving their input. Um, you know, um, because a lot of times folks will bring in bringing people at the last minute to test things and 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 not incorporate them early on like have have people co-design have people do participatory design right and get their input early and hire them so i got a question for you about that if so 100% agree and i even um oh i can't remember her name now um 
I think it was the, I want to say um, the African-American Marketing Association. That sounds right. I don't know if that's the exact name. but And she said, here's how you get around hiring diversity. So Iowa, let's be honest, not very diverse, right, at, at mm. all. But she goes, whatever, that's an excuse. You can hire people that are remote. You can hire people from everywhere. Dep- I mean, it depends what you do, right? If you're a right. flight attendant, you need to be on a plane. I mean, yeah. you got to be where we got to be. But for, you know, I mean, I, my team at Vox Pop Me, we work, you know, some are in Utah, some are in Connecticut, some are in the UK, some are in Oregon. Makes a difference where we are. So I always appreciated that she said that. And that's a good thing. But my question is, how do you hire for diversity when it comes to disability? So, for example, I have some, I don't know, I, I want to say disability issues, right? Health issues from football, mm-hmm. from those kind of things. And then other, you know, under other things. How would that ever come up? How would people ever know what somebody can help with? I mean, how do you know what I mean? Like, how do you know? Like, well, how do you I- hire people? Yeah, this is not uh, my area of expertise by any stretch of the imagination. I know that there are things that you cannot ask, you know, um, uh, due to to legal reasons. But I think that when you think about putting together a job description and what your needs are, and if you are open to remote, I mean, one of the things that came out of this pandemic was that all those companies who said that they couldn't that everybody needed to come to the office. Um, uh, it's not true, right? Uh, a lot of things can actually, we have seen, um, we have seen businesses run, schools run, uh, all these things that people said could not function uh, remotely be done remotely. And and therefore that has opened the door for folks to uh, work remote, maybe folks who um, do have disabilities who couldn't, you know, can't leave their homes, but can do work. Um, so I can't answer that question because it's not my area of expertise in terms of hiring. Yep. Um, at the end of the day, we need to figure out a way to be more inclusive. We need to be able to make sure people can consume our content, can reach our products, can interact with us, right? Right. Um, and I mean, sometimes, quite frankly, you know, there's just so many things out there that can be improved, Um maybe kind of a snarky comment, but you know, that captcha that some websites oh. have on, like, I, I can't even read it. Like that's no, not, it's, don't get me started. It's really, um, captcha is really, um, I do believe it's, it's also in my book. It's one of those things that like, uh, I have a chapter called, if it's annoying, it's probably not accessible. Meaning that like, if it's annoying, it, it is, uh, really hard or, uh, impossible for folks with disabilities to like complete the task, right? So I had a friend who um, has low vision who read that chapter and she's like, I want you to make it clear that if this is like something that's hard to do, it's probably impossible for um, yeah. certain folks, right? Like she's like, some of these things I couldn't do and CAPTCHA is one of those things that is I don't care who you are, like everybody has had trouble and had to do it multiple times. And even if you turn on the the voice thing to read it to you, you're like, what? You know, so it, it is super, super frustrating. It, it's true. And then there's others, you know, turn all the, the ponies um, upside, um, whatever, right side up. And I'm like, they're all right side up. I don't know what you're talking right. about. Yeah. So 
Um, really quickly, uh, who I was quoting earlier, Michelle Nagomi, um, and that indeed is the African American Marketing Association. Um, she was on a previous episode, so um, I am not very good with names. Sorry, can't can't do anything about it. But I I'm good at using Google. Um, <laughs> Regine, it was fantastic to have you on the show. Definitely an eye opener. I hope everyone else um, is taking this topic to heart. And I think the podcast episode's title. And maybe one of my favorite quotes, and again, I have to go through the whole show again to pick the other ones as well. But um, if it's an if it's annoying to you, it's probably not accessible. I mean, that's yeah. a. I think most people can relate to that, and if they can't, I don't know what's what's going on. Um, really appreciate you making the time. Um, check out Regine's book. Um, thanks for sharing your insights. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Christoph. This has been a lot of fun. You bet. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.